welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, my friends. If you want to find your seats, and if you have a Bible, you can find that as well if you'd like. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 11. We're in a series called uh, Eat This Book, which is uh, basically following the narrative lectionary, which basically is just a walk through the Bible in a year, and so we're in the Gospel of John for this season called Lent. If you didn't know, we're in Lent. Ash Wednesday was last week. Uh, The first time I ever remember it being celebrated on Valentine's Day, but um, be that as it may, it was still Ash Wednesday. So if you have given something up or you've added something to your life in the season of Lent, um, good luck. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me too. <laughs> um, let's see, what shall I say? Oh, have you guys ever heard of the ambulance effect? Um, sociologists study this where like if there's a, let's just say a, a, a cyclist gets struck by a motorist, heaven forbid, right? And everyone gathers around, a crowd gathers around, someone's attending to the, uh, the, said, the, the cyclist, and somebody yells, somebody call an ambulance! It's noted that um, sociologists will tell us that no one will feel responsible for calling an ambulance. It's called the ambulance effect. Everyone thinks that somebody else is going to do it, right? Um, so uh, until somebody says, like, you in the red shirt, call the ambulance, and then everybody thinks, oh, the guy in the red shirt's got to call the ambulance, and the guy in the red shirt feels very responsible to call the ambulance because everybody knows that he's supposed to do it. Um, I'm not going to call anyone out, you know, point you out, but I will also, I will, I'll say this. A lot of times, like, when you walk into a church and you see a bunch of people around, you may think to yourself, oh, these, you know, somebody else will take care of it, right? Somebody else will do the coffee, or somebody else will, you know, I don't know, clean the bathrooms or something like that. And I just want to, like, let you all know that the ambulance effect might be happening around here. Um, because, like, the coffee, uh, we, we have lots of room for people to help with making coffee and some of those kinds of things. So I just want to, like, let you know, if you are new to Awaken and you're thinking, gosh, these people seem to have it all together. We do not have it all together. Like, there are goals everywhere around here. Um, And I wouldn't say that, like, the ship is sinking. That's not it. This is not an alarmist uh, thing. But I will say that, like, if you're new and you're looking for a place to plug in, like, anybody can make coffee. Like, if you have a pulse, you're qualified. You can totally do it. Um, uh, So that's one team that needs some help. Communion serving. Uh, Listen, I mean, I don't mean to rate volunteer opportunities at Awaken, but, like, if I were you, this is the one. This is so powerful. If you can say the body of Christ broken for you or the blood of Christ shed for you, you're totally qualified to serve communion. And uh, if you're interested in that, uh, our our communion servers, um, I think they serve maybe once a month, if that, um, but we need some people to help with that. So all of this to say, if you're interested in getting involved at Awaken, check out the website, awakencommunity.com. There's a, I think it's a serve tab or something like that, and it'll just list a whole host of things. Or you can just email hello at awakencommunity. And someone will get it, okay? That goes to me and to Risha. So we'll get that and we'll get in contact with you. Okay? Great. Thanks for playing, everybody. John chapter 11. We are there. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to stand. Um, We're going to stand for the reading of God's word because, one, we want to honor it. Two, we want to ready ourselves. We want to have a posture that's, like, um, consistent with how we feel about the text. So we want to hear it and we want to be ready to receive it. So... Ready position, everybody. Feet shoulder-width apart. Good balance. No, that's what they told us in hockey. We're not playing hockey. John 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one who you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that the, that, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is not dead, and and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather, um, it's my hope and my prayer that you would uh, meet with us, visit us, uh, speak to us. Um, We thank you for your word, for uh, the people who wrote these words down uh, for their listening to your spirit and your guidance, for their saying yes to being involved in that process. Thank you for all of the ways that it's been preserved and kept over these years and now that it comes to us. And so I pray that it would become not, uh, not rote or routine or a book that was written thousands of years ago, but that it would be a, a live, active, active speech today for us from you. So Holy Spirit, speak. Uh, Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. John chapter 11. Uh, This is the story, or the moment, this is the story in John's gospel. Uh, It's that moment, do you guys remember the Lord of the Rings? Uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, J.R. Tolkien, Frodo, the whole bit. It's the moment where the, the fellowship of the ring is, like, solidified and, like, who's going to go on the journey? And they sort of select, it's you, it's, it's Pippin or whatever his name was, and, you know, an elf and uh, a short guy and Frodo. And, they all, and they're the fellowship of the ring, right? And then they turn their attention, they turn their gaze, they turn their bodies towards Mordor, and they start to move towards this end, right? We're going to take the ring to Mordor and we're going to throw it into the pit. 
This is that moment in John's gospel when like everybody turns their attention towards Jerusalem. John is broken up into two sections. John 1 to 11 and a half. This story is the end of the first section. And then the next story in 11, uh, the second half of 11, begins the second half of John's gospel. And in the first half, John, it's a setup, right? John is setting up who is Jesus. Um, what's he doing? What is he about? He's the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. He's the Messiah. He's the eschatological hope of God's people. The eschaton is like future events, what happens at the end. So Jesus is the eschatological hope of God's people. Um, in this story, this is the seventh sign of John's gospel. There have been seven moments along the way. John notes them at the beginning, and then he stops telling you about them because he thinks you're getting it. This is the seventh sign and it's the last one before the final. It's the penultimate sign. And the last sign comes at the end of the gospel when Jesus, of course, is resurrected from the dead as the Son of Man. So this is the moment where sort of the, the hinge of John's gospel happens, where everything else before it is a setup. And now it's all headed towards Jerusalem. It's all headed towards the cross. It's all headed towards the crucifixion. In fact, the next story in John's gospel, the Pharisees begin to plot Jesus' death. So that's where we are in John's gospel, and it's a big moment. Now, sometimes when I teach, uh, I'm, I have an idea in search of a text, you know? Like, I have some idea or some topic or something that we want to talk about, and then we look for a story in scripture that sort of holds that idea up or supports it or talks about it. And then other times in the scriptures, we just let the Bible preach itself. That's what we're going to do today. Both are good. Neither one are bad. Uh, one's not better than the other. But today, we're just going to let the text preach itself, and I just want to draw out Five different words or phrases that we see in John's gospel in this story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And then we'll just see if it doesn't have anything to say for any of us this morning. Does that sound good? Are you with me now? Here we go. Uh, numero uno. Starts in verse four. Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher who wrote a book called a, The Sickness Unto Death. In this book, he explores like what does it mean to be human uh, and, and the condition of being human. And he argues that all of humanity suffers the sickness unto death. And he defines that as despair. Now, without going into the weeds of Kierkegaard in this book, which, quite frankly, I find very difficult to understand, any Kierkegaard fans out there? Anybody like reading Soren Kierkegaard, philosophers? One in the back. This is for you, friend. <laughs> We're not going to go into the weeds of that, but the, the title of Kierkegaard's book in Jesus' words sets up an interesting tension. Kierkegaard says, the sickness unto death, which all of humanity has been plagued with and is plagued with. And then Jesus says, this sickness will not lead to death or not end in death. And you and I, if you have your, uh, you got your ears on, you guys remember, um, what was that show? The Dukes of Hazard. The, uh, the, they'd get on the radio and they'd be like, Roscoe, or no, this is Luke, the little Bo Peep you got your ears on. Remember that? If you have your ears on, if you're paying attention, it's not hard to discern that we live in a world with a lot of sicknesses. Right? Famine, poverty, greed, cancer, divorce, abuse, racism, classism, sexism, ALS. Like, we could just keep going on and on with this long list of sicknesses that you and I experience day in and day out. And these ultimately lead to deaths of all kinds. Social deaths and communal deaths and societal deaths and systemic deaths and even bodily death. This is our world. This is where we live. 
But Jesus tells his disciples, this sickness that Lazarus has, whatever it was, will not end in death. And certainly this can be, and it should be, understood like in its context. Lazarus is Jesus' friend. They, maybe they grew up together. Maybe they were pals. And he's sick, and he's ultimately, it leads to him dying, right? But Jesus says, this sickness, Lazarus' sickness, is not going to end in death. He knows something that's going on. And so, yeah, it's absolutely in its context, but it's bigger than that. As often is the case with the gospel stories. It's specific. It's an event. Historically, it happened in some way, shape, and form that's being reflected upon. And yet, it's bigger than that. And John is saying something larger than, this sickness for Lazarus will not end in death. He's saying something more than that. These sicknesses, whatever they may be, for you and for I, there's a word for us here this morning. There's an offering. There's a moment, a choice for us to make. They do not, they will not end in death. Like Lazarus, they are met with the power of resurrection and new life in Christ. Kierkegaard writes, it is because he, Christ, exists. That is why this sickness is not unto death. For in human terms, death is the last thing of all. And in human terms, hope only exists so long as there is life. But to the Christian, death is by no means the last thing of all, just another minor event in that which is all in eternal life. Can I just pause for a moment this morning and remind you Wherever you have come from this morning and whatever you have brought into this room, whatever sickness, whatever struggle, whatever illness, whatever anxiety, whatever suffering you bring, whether in you or in a loved one, even if it appears that it may end in physical death, it is just another minor event in that which is all in eternal life for those. And this is the hope, this is the news, the good news regarding Jesus the Christ. Christ has stared death down and put death in its grave. And I know we're in Lent and I'm not supposed to be preaching that, but I just can't help myself. That in Christ, he stares the worst that life has to offer, death itself, and he says, you do not win. And so whatever you've brought here this morning and wherever you've come from and whatever you hold, however difficult it might be, This sickness does not end in death. And so, some of you were around a couple years ago when my little brother, Josh, had surgery, uh, brain surgery. And I'm watching my brother and his wife, so I look death in the face and say, you don't win. And the question is, do you believe that? Either we're alone in the universe and death is all, and after that, it's over, or somebody named Jesus was born in a barn walked to life all the way to the cross, dies and then is resurrected again and says, for any and all who want it, it's yours. Just follow me. 
So this sickness does not end in death, she says. And so wherever you've come from this morning and wherever you bring in here, can I just remind you, if not you, me, that even though it may look dark and bleak and grim and like it, it ends in death, the hope of the gospel says that there is something else. That it, death is like a seed that gets planted in the ground and it rises again. And spring will come. Hallelujah, Minnesota. Spring will come. <laughs> we could probably stop there, but I have four more. <laughs> Verse 6 says, he stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus is told that his friend Lazarus is very sick. John says that he loves Martha and Mary and his friend Lazarus. And then verse 6 reads, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Did anybody think that was interesting when you heard it? It's like when you say to your child, You need to turn off the iPad. And they look at you and they say, Okay. And then they keep playing on their iPad. Right? It's like that alarming. They, you know that you heard you, they heard you, and yet they just keep doing it. It's like Jesus hears, your friend, Laz, he's sick, man. And he's like, yep, I'm going to just kick it for a couple days. Like, it's so bizarre, right? Why does he do that? And you can answer this question in all kinds of ways. Like, why doesn't Jesus immediately go to see his friend? And there's what's happening in this story, right? You could look at verse 4. It is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified. Totally. You could argue it's all part of Jesus' plan to like help his disciples know what he's up to and what he's doing. Verse 15 even says, Jesus says, And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that now you may believe, right? You could answer it that way. There's all kinds of interesting story things happening. But either way, it brings up a question that we've all asked. Why? Why is this person healed and that person not? Why does this marriage make it and that one doesn't? Why do these people suffer and those people don't? Why does it seem that it's taking so long for God to respond to this situation? Why does God allow so much suffering in the world when God could do something about it? Why does it, God feel so distant and far away when I'm just crying out my heart and like pouring out my heart? Why is God silent? Why, why, why? And I don't know about you, but sometimes when, I, when, I, when it's not happening as I think it should, or to the people I think it should, or at the timing that I think it should happen, I don't immediately go to, but I believe. I sometimes move to, what the? Why is this happening this way? And doubt, and skepticism, and wondering if God will be faithful. And I'm probably not the only person in the room that moves to that. And I wouldn't be a good pastor if I passed up the opportunity to remind us of a few truths as it relates to suffering and struggle in our lives. First, I'll say, we don't see it all. You and I have a very limited perspective of all the variables that are out there and all the things that are happening in the universe and all the things that are happening in our world, let alone the other plane upon which things are happening. I'm reminded of a story in the book of Daniel where Daniel prays to the Lord and the angel of the Lord comes and says, Daniel, I heard your prayer, 
but I was delayed. I would have come right away, but I was delayed by the prince of so-and-so. Which is to say, friends, we see all kinds of things happening in front of us, and there is a whole nother deal happening. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There's something else happening if you believe in a divine being, God, and a spiritual realm, as it were. And so sometimes there are things happening we don't see and that we can't see or that we're just not able to see at this point. So when we suffer, when things happen that are hard, can I remind us not to immediately go to questions and wondering about the character or the faithfulness of God, but rather, you know what? I'm limited. I don't see it all. I'm not God. I think sometimes we're being prepared for something that God knows is coming. How many times have you looked back in your life and thought, oh, that's what was happening. I was prepared for that thing because I went through that, right? And had I not gone through that, I would have walked through this very differently. Is it possible to look at that as gracious and loving and caring that the divine sees it all and says, oh, I, this, this is possible. And I'm an, sort of an open theist, so here's how I work this out, right? This is a possibility, and okay, let's work this together. And if this is going to happen, then ah, now you're ready. Now you can stand under that. Now you can stand on it. That's not God walking out or God not being faithful or God not... That's actually grace sometimes. Is it possible that sometimes we're being tested when we go through difficult things or hard things happen, you can't read scripture and throw out that possibility because if you do, you're not reading it faithfully because it's in there. Deuteronomy 8 says that a test is not to talk about or speak to the character of God, but rather to show what's in our heart. So when we're tested, if we're tested, it's not a commentary on God's character, but rather... An opportunity to show us what's already in our heart, what's true and in us. And then we, oh, there it is. Now we can see. Now we can choose. Now we can move forward. And sometimes, and this is why I love Minnesota, one of the reasons, sometimes waiting is exactly what's needed for seeds that have been planted to grow. Gang, you can't just snap your fingers and make things grow, right? You put something in the ground. You have to bury a seed before it germinates and give it time in darkness and in quiet and under the ground where it appears that everything is dead. But it's not. Things are happening. We look around and we're like, gosh, this is so depressing. But I was sitting in my car and I'm like, Micah, don't forget, but below all of this which looks like death right now, there is a humming happening. There is like energy being gathered by these seeds which don't have brains and they're, they, don't have, they can't speak and yet who makes them grow? And in a few months, the crocus is just going to be like, you know what, I have had it. <laughs> and out it will come in the midst of snow and cold and it'll just say, here I am and I have been working the whole time. Sometimes waiting is exactly what's needed. And you cannot pass go without collecting, like you can't collect $200 without passing go. Sometimes waiting has to happen. You can't birth a baby without waiting 40 weeks. You can't just snap it into being. 
And sometimes processes need to take place in our lives in order for new things to be born. And so when we read things like he stayed there two more days and in moments in our lives when it appears that Jesus is kicking it for two days when we need him now, can I be the one to remind you? Sometimes we don't have everything in view and even suffering produces faith and perseverance. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. These have come or the, because... Uh, these, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work and become complete and mature so you lack nothing. That's not easy to hear, but it's true, I think. This sickness does not end in death. Jesus stays for two more days. Verse 9 says, when a person walks at night, they stumble. Again, John, we've talked about this. John is using light and darkness as a metaphor. And here again, Jesus says, anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble. But if you walk at night, you will have no light and you will stumble. Jesus says in John 9, 5, I am the light of the world. So what he's doing is connecting this wisdom with himself, right? N.T. Wright comments and says, he, John the writer, seems to have meant that the only way to know where you're going is to follow him, the Christ. If you stick close to him and see the situation from his point of view, even when it means days and perhaps years of puzzlement, wondering why nothing seems to be happening, you will in fact come out at the right in the end. Let me change the metaphor. I've been sailing the last two years around Labor Day. I go up to Lake, uh, Lake Michigan, the Apostle, or Lake Michigan, Lake Superior, the Apostle Islands, and we sail. I've learned a few things about life from sailing. Did you know that telltales is actually a sailing term? When somebody says, oh, that's a telltale sign. On a sail, there are these tiny little threads, and they're called telltales. And when the wind is moving across the sail in just the right way, the telltale will stand straight out. And that's how you know you've got the sail set correctly. It's a telltale sign that you're maximizing the power of the wind. You're welcome. <laughs> I've also learned that you can't steer a boat that's not moving. You have a rudder, but the rudder does no good if the boat is not being powered by something else. Come on now. You see where I'm going with this, right? You could say you're dead in the water if you have no wind. If there's no wind powering the, the boat, you can't steer it. I have a friend of mine named Steve, and Steve has preached at Awaken before, and I texted him this morning. I was like, can I tell that story where you, you were on the jet ski? And he's like, absolutely, but if you want to just read it, I wrote it on my blog. <laughs> it's not like I was trying to kill him. I doubt that ever, anyone has ever tried to kill him, but I still almost killed Brian Schwamline that day. It was about 10 years ago, and I was a youth pastor. Like most youth pastors, I had a goatee and used the word bro a lot. <laughs> so when I was invited to join a pretty exclusive group of youth pastors, I now realize how ridiculous that sounds. For a weekend houseboat trip on Lake Michigan, I felt nervous and honored at the same time. Mostly nervous, but I said yes. These were my exact words. Bro, that would be awesome. Can't wait, dude. It'll be awesome, bro. <laughs> About 12 of us gathered on a large houseboat, and it was obvious that most guys already knew each other, which was awkward for me. It's hard to join a fraternity that already has momentum. I kept feeling like the guy in the movies who's running alongside of the train, frantically trying to jump on at the right moment. There were jet skis tethered to the houseboat, and the leader of the trip was oddly making sure that everyone present had spent some time on them that afternoon. Weens, have you jet skied? Yeah, of course, I lied. 
I had never jet skied in my life. I don't know why we do this, but whenever a group of guys get together, we would sell our mothers into slavery sooner than admit that we, anything that would make us appear weak, incompetent, or uncool. Dude, you change your own oil, right? Yeah, all the time, bro. <laughs> An hour or so before dinner, our leader gathered us together and told us there weren't enough beds for everybody on the houseboat. So we were going to have a competition to see who would get the beds. He lined us up two by two and told each of us to get on a jet ski. I was paired with Brian Schwamlein. I think perhaps you see where this is going. Brian actually had been on a jet ski before that day, so he got in the driver's position and I sat behind him. You see that boat out there, the leader said, indicating the speck on the horizon? You're going to race out to that boat, and when you get to it, you're going to switch places, turn around, and the other guy will drive. The fastest eight guys back to the houseboat get the beds. Go. Brian opened up the throttle full blast, and we were the first ones out to the boat. We clumsily switched spots, and my thumb found the throttle. The houseboat seemed a long way off, so I gunned it. The first thing I learned that day is that jet skis go very fast. <laughs> As we were approaching the houseboat, a thought wandered into my mind, innocently at first, but it gained an exquisite urgency the closer I got to the houseboat. How do you stop a jet ski? <laughs> I was headed directly for the houseboat, and I think we must have been going 400 miles an hour. So I let off the throttle, and I turned the handlebars to the right, and nothing happened. Seriously, I kept my thumb off the throttle, and I kept turning the handlebars, and I, the jet ski kept not turning. Of course, those of you who are experts in jet skis, or even experts in kindergarten powers of deduction, have already realized that in order to turn, you must give the jet ski some power. This is the second thing I learned that day, albeit too late. I didn't know that, and I just kept feeling it wrong to give it gas when we were getting so close to the houseboat. Brian Schwamlein was probably screaming helpful instructions in my ear, but I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't see, however, that the panicked look of the guys on the boat as it was becoming more and more obvious that I was completely unable to avoid a direct impact. Guys started diving out of the way, <laughs> off the boat. What happened next is why I believe in God and why I believe God have a, has, must have a wonderful plan for Brian Schwamlein's life. <laughs> At the last moment, I gave it gas and it yanked the jet ski to the right. Somehow, maybe it was the desperate prayers from the guys on board, we launched out of the water and instead of hitting the houseboat head-on, we gracefully glanced off the side of the houseboat as if I had pulled off a trick I'd been practicing for weeks. We flew off the jet ski and into the water. Brian Schwamlein did not die that day. He was fine. I was fine. The jet ski was fine. The houseboat had a scratch on it, which felt horrible, but no one died that day. The point to my story, friends, was one, I knew that I would need some comic relief at this point in my, in my, preach, in my sermon, but also, you can't turn something that doesn't have power. If you're riding in a boat or jet ski, a sailboat, like you can't move it, you can't turn it, you can't direct it, unless it's powered by something. And I typically don't try to use cheesy metaphors when talking about the spiritual life because you all are way too smart for that. But this one works, you know? Jesus, take the wheel. If it's a country song, it's got to be at least partly true, right? <laughs> what is Jesus saying? I am the light of the world. And if you walk around without me, you will stumble and you will fall. You will make a mess of things. You will wreck things. You will hurt things. But friends, if you stick close to me, even when it doesn't look like I know where I'm going, if you trust me, you will find out that I actually have the power to make this thing turn. Jesus says, just give me the... Do you guys know what a kill switch is? Like on a jet ski or a boat, there's a kill switch. And it's this little thing that's it goes into the ignition part and uh and then you hook it onto your your life jacket and if the kill switch comes out like the thing stops 
The kill switch is not connected to your life jacket, people. It's connected to Jesus. This is... This is <laughs> oh, yes. I have arrived as a pastor. Jesus has got the kill switch, everybody. You can't do... Oh, I'm going to just write what I wrote because I think it's better. You can try your hardest to power up your own life and steer it as well and run things the way you see fit. But wisdom, scripture, and the experience of millions of humans before you will testify to the fact that it will not end well. So just give them the keys. Just stand in the light. What John and Jesus is saying is you can do it alone if you want. It's your life. It's your choice. But Jesus is screaming from the cross saying if you want to go somewhere, if you want life to matter, if you want to be a part of things that are eternal and that will last, it's with me. So follow me. Verse 11 Maybe one of my favorite moments in this story, he says, but I am going to wake him up. <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad used to take us fishing. I had four brothers, and we would take this little 16-foot Lund, the WS-16. We called it the Witham Supreme 16. And uh, we'd go to Big Marine often. We'd fish for bass. And prior to the day we would go fishing, we would get all the essentials, which included a 12-pack of Coke, and a box of Twinkies. <laughs> I can't believe I'm still alive. <laughs> but there was just this like unbelievable excitement and passion and, and nervous energy about like tomorrow we get to go fishing. Like you could just see the bass, you know, and the lily pads going around, throw the frogs up there. Oh, son, it's a big one. <clears throat> My dad, I could hardly sleep the night before. And I'd lay in my bed, and at like, oh, dark 30, I think we'd leave at 4, 5 in the morning before the sun would ever come up, I would hear, like, the wrestling of my dad getting out of bed in the ba in downstairs. And then I would hear his footsteps. And he would, like, come up the creaky stairs, and he'd come to the top of the stairs, and he would whisper, he'd say, Micah, it's time to get up. I didn't learn a lot about God from my dad, but I did learn that that's what God is like. Where God creeps to the top of the stairs and says, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time to go. Jesus says to his disciples, but I'm going to see Lazarus to wake up my friend. And seven and a half years ago, we started a church called Awaken with the hope and the dream that there would be a group of people gathering in a room like this, wondering, what would it be like if we woke up? What would happen if a group of people woke up to the power of resurrection and the gospel and the good news about God's work in the world? What would happen in us and in our families and in our communities and in our schools if a group of people started waking up to the fact that there are kids who don't have lunch and don't have enough food to learn, and we got involved in their little stories and we gave them some food? What would happen if a group of people woke up and said, there are people wandering around their lives trying to figure out how do, what, which direction do I point it? And we found the wise people among us and we put them together and we said, hey, why don't you two walk together for a little while? What if a group of people woke up 
to treating their spouses with care and their children with love? What if a group of people woke up to the fact that we are beautiful and that we're beloved and that we belong and that we've been invited into a grand story and adventure with the king of the universe? Wake up. I'm going to wake up, my friend. And so I get to come here every week and I get to say to you, wake up. What are the ways that you're asleep? What are the ways that you are just conked out? Wake up. There's good news. There's God at work in the world. The spirit is moving in among us. Wake up. Lastly, Jesus says in verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you guys remember Back to the Future? Marty McFly, Doc, the DeLorean. They go back into the past to change an event so that it would have an effect on what happens in the future. How much time do we spend in our lives thinking, you ever wish you could go back? Uncle Rico, Napoleon Dynamite, you ever wish you could go back? Coach, put me in, we'd want state, I know it. We spend all this energy thinking, I wish we could go back and change something that happened in my past because it had an effect in my present and my future. Mary says, if you had only been here, Lazarus would not have died. If we could go back and you would have come when I said come instead of doing whatever it is you were doing for two days, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe me? Jesus is God's future brought to our present. And the question is always the same. Do you believe me? When the divine shows up, new things are born. People are healed. Things come to life. Resurrection happens. That's just how it works. That's who I am. It's everywhere. It's in the universe. It's in the plants. It's in the animals. It's all around you. Resurrection is what happens when the divine gets involved. Jesus is God's future. His certain promised future of resurrection and new life and restoration and hope brought into our present right here, right now. And the question is the same. Do you believe me? And if so, then saddle up your horses, baby, because we got a trail to blaze. <laughs> On fire, Jenna! <laughs> Do you believe me? I mean, think about that. Jesus, the Christ, the pre-incarnate word of God is God's certain future brought back into our present, into your parents' present, into your grandparents' present, into the disciples' present, and says, Do you Believe me. And if so, put your anchor, tether your boat, hold fast to this. I am the resurrection and the life. This sickness will not end in death. And if you will wake up and connect your life to this resurrected Christ, sometimes it might look bleak and it might look like it's ending in death, but hold fast, my friends, because it's about to... It's about to happen. This is where it begins, actually. That's the text. Pray with me. God, here we are on the jet skis of our life, careening towards our friends and other boats, trying to figure out how to steer these things. And it seems as though you have offered a pretty simple and yet very profound way forward. 
die to yourself so that you can live in me. I know the way home. Follow me. Tether your lives to me. And so, in whatever ways we need to hear your voice this morning, whether it's for the first time to recognize that this sickness in me, this struggle to do it on my own, without help, without the lights on, is not going well. For the first time acknowledging, I can't do it. Or for the waking up to something that we've been asleep to for so long. Whatever it is that we need in this room, I just believe that you're big enough, you're good enough to speak to us right here and right now. And that when the divine presence is involved, you are always faithful to bring about new things and new life and resurrection and healing and hope. So bring it now. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 55 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. And he goes on and says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Today, just for today, I'm inviting you to believe that's true. And then we'll talk again tomorrow. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.